This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for our personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in the aspects of your financial situation. And we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are Capitalizers, and this is our show. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Finances. As always, I'm your host, Christopher A. Paniotti, the Cap in Capitalize. And today's special guest is the director of uh, Oklahoma State University, uh, Peter Margaritas. He's a CPA, he's an author, he's a national speaker and fellow podcaster. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, and and we've been looking forward to this for for a while now. And uh, before we dive into what you've got cooking at OSU, which is not Oregon State, it's Oklahoma State, okay? Um, And it's not Ohio State. And it's not Ohio State. Right. So give us a brief background uh, into who you are personally. Wow. Brief? (laughs) All right. So, Chris, I'm Greek-American. I grew up in a, a Greek household. I grew up in the restaurant business. I grew up in a very gregarious environment and uh, actually I started in the restaurant business at 12 years old and went all the way through college and even after college and I was managing a a restaurant at one time and I decided that I wanted to get into the business world and I transitioned from that into banking. Uh, I won't go into all the nitty-gritty, I'm sure we'll talk about some of it here, but what makes me tick is that even though I am a CPA, uh, and I maintain my license. I'm not a very good one. As you can see above my head, it's this, it's a, it's a sign says the accidental accountant. Uh-huh. That's me. Um, and, but that's okay. But I've been able to forge my way into this, stay in this profession and provide continuing education programming, primarily in the leadership development area. But the other thing that really separates me from a lot of other people in my, in my industry is that many years ago, I started doing stand-up comedy. And Chris... To tell you the truth, I wasn't that good because if I was really good, I'd be charging you for mm-hmm. this. Okay? Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, but from from that, I I I got to learn a lot about stage presence and stuff, and then I found my true love, improv, and I found out that that improv is not about making people laugh. I mean, if you're a good improviser, you can make people laugh, but there's leadership skills wrapped all around the world of improv. And prior to us uh, starting, I've been working on a presentation I'm delivering next week to the Massachusetts Society of CPAs on this exact same topic of business improv. My third book, Off Script, Mastering the Art of Business Improv. So that's and, – and I've made it a lifestyle. And that's what, that's what drives me. And two words drive me as well as we were talking beforehand. It's the word yes and the other word of and. Yes. I don't like no and I don't like but. There are times that, it, that we need to use them. There's a times we need to use no and that's when somebody's pushing us across our ethical boundaries. But there are many ways to say a no by saying yes and just the word yes and and. And you do it in a, in a way that when you say the word no, people get defensive or but. People get very defensive. And then 
barriers come up and emotions are evoked. But yes is inviting and when we follow it with and and move it forward, it's amazing what we can solve if we put our ego aside, put our agendas aside, and actually listen to the other person. So that's kind of a brief overview of who I am, I guess. Yeah, well, and and that actually spurred a, a number of questions. So uh, getting into the restaurant business, and then you transitioned yep. into banking, and then you found your love of improv. So out of those three that you listed, what would you say has provided you the most success in the professional world of CPA um, as far as taking the skills from that specific set and, and transitioning it into what you're doing today? Oh, improv, by far. By far. Improv is a communication tool. And we as CPAs are not known to be the best communicators. Yes. And I think, I think your audience would have believed would vouch that and the ability i may not be great technically but i was working at this one firm smaller firm after i got out of public accounting and went back in uh i wasn't technically sound i was technically inept however they would take me out to visit with the clients because i could talk to the clients i knew enough to be dangerous i should have been a salesperson for yeah. them i knew enough to be dangerous but getting into the, the nitty-gritty that wasn't my, that wasn't me um, and the ability to have that commu- those communication skills with the clients, with even with even staff inside, at that point, and that was back in the two, early 2000s, it, was, it still wasn't recognized that communication skills, those power skills, or we call them soft skills or interpersonal skills, are harder to learn and harder to master than the world of accounting or CPAs or anything that has to do with finance, the technical side. We can all learn that stuff if we want to, but dealing with people, communication, that all, how I was trained was through the world of improv. Well, and I can tell you from working with a number of CPAs, phenomenal CPAs, they are some of, if not the most technically sound people I know, and not all of them, but the majority of them are very introverted, and Mm -hmm. I've always thought to myself... There are these people that have the opportunity to take the world by storm. But when it comes to what you just said, uh, whether it's the salesmanship or the (laughs) lack of being able to pivot in a conversation, do you think that just kind of comes with the territory of being in the world of being a CPA? Or do you think that's that's kind of an excuse? Well... CPAs, most CPAs, not all, but most CPAs are are introverted. The risk adverse. Yeah. That's just kind of the, the makeup. They're the highly technical. The 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 left brain. They don't like to take risks. They like linear lines. Uh, however, we have to take risks, right? And and the ability to accept the fact that taking a risk, there's it's either going to win or lose. But if it fails, that's first attempt at learning. So how can I do it again, and how can I figure out what I, what went wrong to make it right? It's it's that process of okay, we think we got it. You know, Coca Cola when they came out with new Coke, they invested millions and millions of dollars into that, right. and they actually I think after three days they actually did bag it because they realized they were so far off the mark. But nobody lost their job from what I understood. Uh, it was a learning experience and. CPAs need to be better communicators. 
They need to connect with their clients better. They need to realize that they speak a foreign language, and that foreign language is accounting. Yeah, well, and and that's what everyone says is accounting is the language of business, which I I agree with, but I also don't just because depending on how that can come off, like, yes, it's very technical, but some people that have said that it can also come off as pretentious. You know, like one, some of the best business people I know, they don't have a clue how to read a balance sheet or an income statement or a cash flow statement, but they get it. And that's just kind of an unwritten thing. You mentioned the um, kind of diving into the, the sales aspect of it. You see a lot of these CPAs, they graduate from college and they go work for one of the, I think it's big four now, or, or another big company equivalent. And you work your way up from, you know, basically a whatever it is, a uh, senior accountant, and then you become a manager, and then, you, you know, you, you kind of climb the ranks. Mm-hmm. And then it's not until you become a senior manager or a partner that they suddenly throw you in to this world of, okay, now you've got to go sell. Well, they never had that, uh, and they never had to have that. So do you think there's an issue with the infrastructure of that industry? Because the opportunities in my eyes for these younger CPAs to go and, and learn how to grow and, and uh, sell themselves, it, 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 it can be very lacking. It is an infrastructure thing. And I've always said, so when somebody graduates from college and gets accepted into any firm, any especially large, medium-sized regional firm, your first five years of existence is technical knowledge driven right down your throat with zero and anything other than technical, the non-technical stuff. And during that five-year period, you may move from staff accountant to a senior and then into a, then into a manager role. And in that manager role, you've got to deal now with people. But you haven't had the skill set of, of how to deal with people. You're more technically sound. And there's, there was an article in Harvard Business Review a while back said the smartest people in the room don't always make the best managers because they're so technically mm-hmm. sound. And there's some people you don't ever want to put in front of a client. But you want them on your team because they provide that expertise research, mm-hmm. the, that research that they do. So I've always said that, well, why can't we give them 90% technical in the first five years and then dribble in 10% over that period of time. So when they hit, when they become a manager, they know how to network. They know how maybe to start to build a book of business. They can communicate better with their clients. They can do all these things, help even with negotiation. Help. They've got someone of that foundation so they can propel up to exactly what you said. And I ask CPAs, do you like, to, do you like sales? And they go, no. And I go, well, you're in it. You're in sales. Right. You're selling yourself every day, and if you want to be in a firm and you want to be partner, and all you guys want to be partners, then you better learn how to sell. And look at selling as not, oh my God, I hate that, I can't do that. As no, I better learn it, I better become better at it, because that's what's going to make my career excel, not the not the not the spreadsheet, but excel further. Right, right. So if you were starting a CPA firm today. Or if you already had a successful CPA firm, would you uh, have a, let's say, a five-year track of, hey, someone comes in, I will teach you the technical skills, but 10% of this time, and then increasing over time. Because 
let's face it, once you kind of know the tax code, yeah, there are things that change, but it, it, it doesn't waver a whole heck of a lot. It's just maneuvering of the numbers. Would you basically rev up the sales engine in coaching of these, uh, freshly graduated CPAs? Hmm. Well, let me make this perfectly clear. I'm not delivering the technical information. Yes. Nope. I get it. I totally no, get it. Even, even I mean, the, the, the complex technical information, because that's out of my expertise. Right. However, I would hire in that talent to do that, those experts, those, those right. spot leaders. But I would spend that time, yes, I would deliver, I would add 10% on each year. Yeah. And do it differently. So when they hit the ground, even before they hit the ground, they're already doing it. Right. Um, yeah, that's... And I, I and the other thing I would do is, is from day one, I would take if I had a, if, if you were my client, and I had a staff member working on the account, I said I, I got to go to Chris's office. Say you're coming with me. I'd bring them, and let them have the com- the car conversation too, have the car conversation coming back. Now the 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 old school thought process. Well, I can't bill that bill anybody for that time. Who cares? That's like a long-term investment into the firm's future because those car conversations and, and, and seeing that interaction that's happening with the client is far more valuable than how am I going to bill them 200 bucks for the hour? Right. That's a short, that, that is a short-sighted uh, analogy when we should be thinking long-term and how do I invest into my people with those skills necessary and break the old school model? Well, and that gets back to the very, very technical side, because if you get locked into the numbers too hard, then you're not going to be able to see past that, well, it's it's a bad investment in the short run, which I, I totally get right. that. Now, let's go back to talking about you, because I know we went on a, a little tangent there. So uh, take us back to when it started. I, I know you said that you were uh, in the restaurant industry at 12, then you transitioned to banking. So when was it along your path that you were inspired to become a CPA and eventually even teach at OSU? Yeah. Uh, my, my father, you know, I always thought I'd be a, a CPA and he always kind of said that to me. I think you'd be a good CPA. And I went, eh, okay. I, I took a class at the university of Kentucky. I got to, I got to intermediate accounting and my professor, uh, I couldn't really quite understand him. But the only thing I learned from that class is there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I got a D. So I went, okay, I've got to find my, find my way another way. But long story short, when I was in the banking industry, our bank um, was bought by another bank out of Virginia. I think it was Sovereign Bank. And my, the, the VP of commercial lending, uh, when they were merging the bank, he was losing his job. And he came up to me and said, you know what, you've got this weird knack. You have an understanding of numbers, and you have ability to communicate. Maybe you should build a safety net and, and go back to school like your father wanted you to and become a CPA. Well, I kind of took him up on that uh, and ended up at um, being accepted at Case Western Reserve University's Master's of Accountancy program and ended up third in my class when I graduated. And then I got a lot of nice offers, but I settled with Price Waterhouse. And that dates me because this is prior to the Coopers merger. And that's how I got into the accounting profession. Now, when I got there, my first thought was, why isn't anybody communicating with anybody in this office? 
it, it was just, it was, we were stuck in our, our seats, we were stuck in our cubicles, we were stuck in our pods, and we would not really communicate at all. And I, I just never really understood that. But what took me out of public accounting is I was in the Cincinnati office of Pricewaterhouse, and I was up for my second, third uh, raise and promotion. Now, I said I'm an accidental accountant. On the, on the technical side, I, I, I work hard, and that, that, that makes up for a lot. But I knew I wasn't a five out of five, but I'm not a four out of five. I'm somewhere in between. But my raise was not equitable to others who were moving in that same direction. Mine was a lot less. So I was, I was, I didn't get into the profession until I was 30 years old. Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of gumption about myself. And I walked into the tax partner's office and asked him why. And this is, Chris, this is almost an exact quote. He said, Pete, when we hired you out of Case Western Reserve, we hired you at a premium. Now we're going to take that premium and amortize it over the next three years to get you in line with everybody else. Now, from an accounting perspective, in my accounting humor, I'm being amortized but not depreciated because I'm not a tangible object in the world of accounting is depreciated. An intangible object is amortized. So he just saw me as a cloud. Just kind of nothing that was there, but we're going to amortize them. And two, he saw this look on my face, and he said, well, if you didn't find a job that pays you more, go ahead. Don't challenge me, please. That's, I love when people challenge me because I want to prove them wrong. So sure. three months later, I came, I came back, and I threw a Victoria's Secret catalog on his desk. And he goes, what's the, my two weeks resignation notice? He got pissed. I said, don't you remember what you said to me? He said, yeah, but I didn't think you'd take me up on it. I said, sir, with all due respect, there's more of me out into your office than you realize. You might want to look at them a little bit closer. Sure. And take a listen to them, what they're doing. Sure. And that's how I transitioned out of public into industry, worked for Victoria's Secret for about five years. Capitalizers, this episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. Regardless of where you're at in your financial life, whether you're just beginning to express interest and commitment to your personal finances, at the pinnacle of your career, winding down into retirement, or thinking about your legacy for future generations, this book walks you through every step of the way so you can succeed on your terms and with your own values and passions guiding you. After reading this book, you will officially have Christopher A. Poniotu, the cap in capitalized, in your back pocket, guiding you in detail through every step of the way so that you can take charge of your finances, not the other way around. Head on over to Amazon.com today and start capitalizing your finances to the fullest with this incredible book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. And now, back to the episode. Yeah, and when you transitioned into uh, not only Victoria's Secret, but just really just like the finance side of a of a massive company, what would you say was the some of the biggest differences that you noticed versus actually working in a in a big CPA firm? Because uh, I would say I was in accounting and finance, okay. and quite honestly they don't realize that they carry a stereotype when they leave that office into another person's office. And typically when an accountant walks into sales, 
customer service, whatever, the person on the other side thinks, oh, God, here they come again. They're going to come and tell me no. And they refer to the head of the accounting and finance function as the CF no. Got it. So there's a stereotype. So what I realized is I need to break that stereotype. And this is how I got the accidental accountant piece. Because I realized I want them to see me as not the guy from finance. I want them to see me as Pete. I know Pete. I've had lunch with Pete. I've had a couple of drinks with Pete. I know he's, he's a good guy. We, we talk. He's a sports guy. Okay. I want them to see me like that. And the only way for me to do that was to get out from behind my desk and work my way through the different divisions, the different departments, get to know people. So when it came time for me to go ask them for information, because I'm in the information gathering business, they're more inclined to do it. That was the biggest thing. But nobody else in that, di- that, that division, that department, saw that stereotype or, or, or accepted that stereotype or felt like I should, be from, I, should not, I should always be at my desk, and my, as I say, my cheeks in the seat, versus out internally networking through the organization. They never saw the value of that. Well, and one thing that just popped into my mind, because I, I have a number of friends that work at... Um, whether it's the big firms or Moss or whatever the case is. And you already spoke about it a little bit after, what was it, three years at, at PW, you decided to the, to yeah. transition out. And that's something that a lot of my buddies have asked me on, okay, when would be the time to jump? Because there does come a point where if, if, if you're, I'm not saying there's a point of no return, but let's face mm-hmm. it, if you become a partner at one of these firms, you can do really well, like really well. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And I have always heard, and I want you to, to correct me if I'm wrong here, that if you transition from a big CPA firm to maybe like a privately owned CPA firm, mm-hmm. you have just as much opportunity plus flexibility plus family feel, etc. But if you transition into like the corporate world, like you did from the accounting side, mm-hmm. you can almost get pigeonholed. Um, would you agree with that or disagree with that and why? Well, here's, there's got to be some statistics on it. Here's, here's what I do know. Those who leave public accounting and go into industry, yeah. rarely, rarely, a very small percentage will ever leave industry and go back into public accounting mm-hmm. because of the, 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 the work-life imbalance because of the stress, but others stay in public accounting because they love the flexibility of different clients. I get to work on different things. Yeah. Yes, you can get to some degree pigeonholed when you go into a corporate environment, but you can, if you're coming in as, a, as an accountant, you're more than likely going to stay in that accounting phase to maybe aspire to controller or to CFO and take on greater responsibility. Um, and... It has a better work-life balance than public. Public has a, has a and it still has this persona of, of we're going to just grind them out, use them up, spit them out, bring in another one. And those who can survive, they will survive. Um, that mentality is starting to change a little bit, uh, but it's still in, in some firms. It's still really there. And do you think that change is for the better? Or worse, or a little bit of both. <laughs> I think it's for I think it's for the better. Yeah. 
I mean, I think, Chris, you can't work 12, 14 hours a day. And actually, at the time, I think back in the day, we were doing maybe during busy season, which is a is a bad, it should be opportunity season or cash flow season. That's where we make our right. money. We make it sound bad. It's, it's, I've always been against that. Um, you make mistakes. They're, they're, you know, we, 10, 12 hours, okay. That's still a lot. But in a short period of time, that's manageable. However, we need some firms actually I've been in have put in relaxation rooms where you can go in and take an afternoon nap, not to sleep, but an afternoon and just kind of get away from it to refresh yourself. But a lot of times we don't have the opportunity to refresh ourselves. Sure. Sure. So I, I think we have to think how how the human mind works, how the brain works, how and realize that Everybody has this, when's the best time for you to do your work? For me, I'm an early morning guy. And around noon, yeah, I'm doing other stuff or answering emails or stuff and then picking it up about two hours later. Um, I think we need, to, we need to look at the person, not at the process. And then look at the person, then build the process. But we've built a process within organizations that have been there for many years. Yeah. Well, there's got to be time for change. And you think of the big firms, and again, I'm not knocking the big firms here. I want to be crystal no. clear. Um, and the big firms have much more of that infrastructure. I can tell you from talking to a lot of our, our CPA clients that are, you know, the smaller privately owned, their biggest issue mm. is staff. They can't find anyone. But a lot of these right. big firms, right. they have that. And so you would think they'd be able to pivot into that pretty quickly. But I do get the, it's, it's a fine line between, okay, grinding people to absolute death versus mm -hmm. you really do push through. And there is a little, there, there is something to be said about, Hey, the strongest will survive. Um, right. And it is, it's tough. Now, even though you left the, mm -hmm. uh, the corporate CPA world, you know, mm. you, you can never take the CPA out and you fast forward <laughs> many years in, in today you're teaching those at OSU uh, about the CPA mm. route. So what would you say is the best advice for those that are wanting to become CPAs or are already uh, pursuing the profession? Well, let me tell you how I got to Oklahoma State University. Yeah. I, I used to be in higher education years ago. I was at Franklin University, and then I was at the Ohio Dominican University. That's a big joke in Columbus, man. People just really yes. laugh when I throw that one out at them. Um, and, and OSU was Oklahoma State was a client of mine, and they were they were they wanted to start this School of Accounting Communication Center, and they were looking for a director. And I had written three books. They were a client of mine. I'd, I'd interacted with them. And they pitched me the idea back in February of would you be interested? Because I made a comment at a happy hour about I might want to get back into higher education at some point in time. And I get a contact from the, the, the department head about, were you serious about that? I, this is what I said. I said, uh, if you were... Uh, the Ohio State University, if you were my alma mater, Case Western, or University of Kentucky, I'd say no. Because I'm not hearing the words that are coming out of those institutions that I'm hearing coming out of your institution, where you guys believe in power skills, and you believe that we need to become better communicators, 
and really, Chris, at the at the crux of it, we need to start at the university level. Because once you get out into industry, you develop some, you can you can develop some bad habits, and you can put in situations, and a lot of times it's hard to change. So let's start early. Long story short, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. My role as the director of the, director of the School of Accounting and Communication Center, which we're building right now, as well as instructor of professional practice, and I teach two sections of survey of accounting. It's it's technical enough for me. I can get through it. I can have some fun with them. I can inspire them. I can find some business majors and turn them into accounting majors. But the real hook there was I get to build this communication piece, and we're going to add these communication skills. The university provides a foundation. They get credit hours for you know, business comm and all that. Other. But they don't go any further than that. However, the employers are going, we need people who can better communicate when they get out of college. They've been asking this for years. So the, the foresight of, I have to give credit here to Dr. Audrey Gramling, who was the head of the county department, and Dr. Um, Ken Eastman, who's the uh, dean of the School of Business there at Oklahoma State. They had this vision that, let's find a way to do that, and supported this program, hired me. And the goal here is that to take the foundation that's already, but we're, 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 we're collaborating we're not duplicating and now start putting some more walls onto it. You know, we, we've got business communication. Okay. But they don't know how to write. They don't, they're not great business writers. So how do we get them from academic writing to business writing? How do, how do, can we, we need to teach them how to write a memo today in class versus when they get out there, we need to provide them with some feedback on their presentation skills. We need to provide them some opportunities to learn how to network and become better networkers because that's critical. All these critical pieces. And I'm taking a lot of my programming I've done over the last 20 plus years and we're recreating it in different ways. And the way that we want to differentiate it is we want to be able to give some type of digital badge or some type of certificate of completion that if you're looking for somebody to come to work for your firm, and yet two people side by side, somebody from Oregon State University and one from Ohio, Oklahoma State. Ah, that was a slip. That's there. okay. Oklahoma State, <laughs> Oklahoma State University. And they're identical in nature, except for one thing. You notice on the person's resume, they've got these digital badges for uh, communication in the workplace, uh, emotional intelligence, better business presentation, better business writing, so on and so forth. Who are you going to hire? Person with the communication skills. Because now they're coming up with a better foundation for it. So that's my, that's what gets me going every single day. Sure. Is that opportunity. And, and I still get to interact with the accounting profession because part of the roles of a, I'm not a tenure track. I don't have a PhD. But I have to maintain my business scale down a bit because they want me out there, you know, talking about Oklahoma State University and what we're doing. Well, and, and if I could summarize that, I mean, your biggest advice, it even goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, was gain the emotional intelligence and you will go yep. very far in the CPA world. Yep. Well, uh, people always ask, are you a tax or an audit CPA? <laughs> and would you say it's prudent to be deadly in both or just be more efficient in one and just go all in on that route? So when you're coming out of college, and I'm getting a lot of these questions right now from students, 
Where, where should I go? Now, I was a banker, and I felt like I knew the inside of most organizations, kind of how they ran. So, and my my auditing professor at Case Western bored me to death. My tax professor kind of energized me, so I went to tax route. But what I tell these kids right now is, you can always go into tax, start off an audit, understand how what how the accounting world works inside the organization first and foremost. Then you can say, can I? In the larger firms, it's either this or that. In the smaller firms, you may be at it, but you'll get training on tax because they also need you during the tax season. I, I think having a proficient knowledge of both over time goes a long way. But in the early years, and you're coming out of college, my advice is to go into the auditing side of the business. Give it a couple, two, three years. Plus, you're also working with clients a little bit closer. You're out in the field. You're doing, well, I can't say this anymore because of technology. You're not sitting in the basement of some large organization going through their files. Now, it's all digital and electronic. You're in a conference room. There's no windows, but you're still, right. but you're still interacting with folks. Um, and then if you have that, that want to become in the tax world, then you can ask to be moved into the tax side of the business. And actually, this just came up the other day. I was, I was at an at a, at a invited dinner. And this question came up and I had the, uh, one of the, the leader of the tax department for ConocoPhillips at my table. And I had mentioned this to this person earlier. And I, I said, ask her that same question, tax or audit. And she, she, I didn't even give her any heads up. She validated exactly what I said. The audit side's where to start. Because it's hard to go from tax to audit. The audit side's where it starts. Gives you more of a, it gives you a better view of the business world. Now, the tax guys are going to go crazy and yell at me because of that. But since I was on the tax side, that's if I had one one regret about being in public accounting, it was I didn't go on the audit side first. And, and is it solely because of that, well, uh, on the tax side, lack of uh, dealing with people more intimately in the business world? Yeah, I think so. And, and and just understanding the flow of information within an organization at that level. Okay. Because you, you got to learn that flow of the the information within the organization, how, how things flow, but not so much in the tax world. Sure. Well, in kind of transitioning as we're wrapping up the show, and uh, okay. we're going to have to have you back on because I could talk to you all day about this. <laughs> So what are you pursuing now that is getting you excited to wake up every day? What are you doing with your time? And also, what products would you say you have purchased and utilized to help with that pursuit? Good question. Um, well, what's keeping me busy is this community. What, what's keeping me busy is being, an, being a W-2 employee versus a 1099 for the first time in about 13 years. And having to learn, I'm a Mac guy, I'm having to learn Microsoft, and, and, and I've got 10 thumbs on my hand. Seems like every single day trying to transition to that, but actually I have these 10 thumbs, two fingers work, I and mean, one finger on each hand works when I get really frustrated. Sure. Then it turns back to a That's thumb. Right. So I'm, 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 re- I'm learning all about, now I have Microsoft Word for, for Mac, but it's the whole Mac environment, the whole... Uh, office environment I'm learning and, and, and relearning Excel and, and some of the depth of that. So I'm going through this, this learning curve. 
as well as working on building this communication department, uh, communication center. Uh, we've had uh, a working group that we were able to establish. Uh, we have one major funder for it. We're looking for more funding for the uh, communication center. Uh, we're doing surveys. We're, the, the big launch is going to come uh, next fall, fall 2023. So that keeps me busy. Um, the one product that I, I don't I, I am not I don't get paid for this endorsement, but I don't care. I think the one product that every accountant, every business person needs on their computer is Grammarly. Period. Or it's an exclamation mark. It could be a comma. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Well, that that is fantastic. And and where can capitalizers that want to become CPAs go and find you? They can find me at Peter. Uh, my email is Peter at Peter Margaritas. That's M-A-R-G-A-R-I-T-I-S dot com. And it's it's spelled, it's pronounced, it should be pronounced like an inflammation, like margaritis. But where's the fun in that? Because that's too close to gingivitis, hepatitis, and Right, laryngitis. of course. Of course. So we just keep it as a cocktail. Yes. Um, my website is www.petermargaritas.com. Uh, you can find me, starting to find me through Oklahoma State University in the School of Accounting. Um, you can find me on your podcast. I have a podcast called Change Your Mindset, which when we finish, I got to get you I gotta, uh, get you on a time for me to flip the tables and interview you. Okay, absolutely. Well, Peter, I, I cannot wait to hop on your show. Thank you for coming on, and thank you all uh, for tuning in to another lovely episode of Capitalize Your Finances. Uh, if you have any questions about today's episode, you know the drill. You can either shoot me an email, chris at capitalizeyourfinances.com, or you can give me a call at 253-214-3050, and I'd be more than happy to answer any questions that comes my way. Uh, if you have any people in mind that you would like to have on the show to enlighten you on how they've capitalized on their finances, you know the drill. Please hit me up and I will do my very best to get them on. As always, I'm your host, Christopher Paniotu, the Cap and Capitalize. And until next time, keep capitalizing. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. Peter Margaritas and any other individual or company mentioned in this podcast are not affiliated with Capitalize Your Finances or LPL Financial.